Welcome to Lorica, the podcast of Father Patrick Cardine, pastor of St. Patrick's Orthodox Church in Bealton, Virginia. St. Patrick's is a parish in the Antiochian Orthodox Christian Archdiocese of North America, serving the Western Rite. Father Patrick is also the administrator of the Orthodox West. Jesus has told us a parable today about forgiveness. He tells this parable in response to Peter's question, which you are probably familiar with. How often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. And Jesus responds, no, up to 70 times seven. And then he launches directly into this parable. The parable goes something like this, paraphrased. This servant is brought in, and he owes the king about a gazillion dollars, basically a debt that there's no way that he can pay. And so the king threatens to sell the servant, him and his wife and children, into slavery, and the servant falls on his face, and he begs the king's uh, patience. The king is moved with compassion, and he forgives the man this enormous debt, a debt which, as I said, he could never repay. And we have this wonderful feel-good moment here. But it doesn't last very long. As you read on into the parable, the forgiven servant goes out and he finds another servant who owes him some money. And he grabs him around the throat and he demands payment. And when that servant asks for mercy, the servant who had been forgiven, he refuses it and he throws him into prison. Then some acquaintances, they overhear what's going on and they go and they run. They tell the king about it. Um, These narcs, uh, these acquaintances, these are the angels. The angels often show up in parables. The angels love good and hate evil. And they tell the king to illustrate their involvement in the world and in our lives. And to illustrate also that our angels, the angels are troubled. They are troubled by our sin. Well, the king is not happy, obviously, with the unforgiving servant. And his judgment is swift. He has him delivered immediately to the torturers until he pay off his entire original debt, which, again, was never going to happen. Then the parable ends with Jesus giving a sharp warning, summarizing and really driving home the point of the parable when he says, So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Well, I think there is some confusion concerning how God's forgiveness works and also what is expected of us in terms of forgiveness towards one another. Forgiveness is certainly at the very center of our redemption and a very important topic that we talk about and understand. And we have this parable today to help guide us in taking a closer look at this parable I think will help us to understand the nature of forgiveness. We need to understand forgiveness maybe in two ways. These two ways are not really mutually exclusive, but when we understand, when the Bible talks about forgiveness, and we think of God and His forgiveness and His attitude of forgiveness towards us, this will help us. First, we want to emphasize that God does not need anything added to Him. He doesn't lack anything in himself which prevents him from giving us his mercy and his forgiveness. There is no external thing 
That means to be supplied to him, to enable him to love us, to have mercy upon us, and to forgive us. God, in his very nature, in his very self, he has no desire to hold our sins against us. He has no desire to consign us to the consequences of our guilt. God is love, and God is merciful, and God is just, and his justice and his mercy are not, you know, against one another. They're not held in tension because his justice is his mercy. To say that he's just is to emphasize that he is what he is, without qualification. And what is he? He is merciful. His justice is that he is merciful. That's who our God is. And if we're ever confused about this, or if we ever doubt this, what our God is really like, which we do from time to time, we lose sight during life's troubles and tribulations, we, all we need to do is we need to turn our gaze towards the cross of Christ. We need to adore the cross. This image explicates God once and for all. This image, once and for all. Does that look like a God who wants to destroy you, to hold on to your sin and make you suffer? No, that looks like a God who loves you so much that he has become sin for you. All on his initiative. He didn't need anything. He's the one who came. <laughs> there was nothing that compelled him to come. Nothing from outside of him. He came out of his own mercy and his own love. Not because he lacked any motivation. Not because there was any need, something to provoke his mercy. He is his own mercy, his own forgiveness. That image of the cross, of the God-man hanging there, looks pretty much like gratuitous forgiveness and redemption. That is what God is like. So that's the first point we must emphasize. We must be absolutely clear that God does not need to be convinced by some external persuasion to have mercy and forgive. This is who he is. Furthermore, we do not believe, like some do, in a limited atonement, that Jesus only died for a select few. No, Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He is a ransom for many. God does not desire the death of any man. He desires that all be saved. And God's redemption through forgiveness of sin has been poured out for the entirety of mankind. In a general sense, we can say that God's forgiveness for all man, for all mankind, has been poured out. It is there. Well, in our parable, the king... God forgave the unpayable debt of the servant. Now, brief aside here, just to clarify the idea of debt. Okay, Debt is a scriptural idea, concept, and metaphor. It is also uh, in, the, in, the, in the Fathers. St. Athanasius speaks about debt, as do others. I want to identify two kinds of debt, in a way. Two kinds of debt we owe God. First, in response to our creation, just in response to the gift of our very existence in life. We can say, metaphorically, that we owe God a debt of gratitude, worship, obedience, and love. That's a perfectly scriptural good way to put it. 
If you don't like the metaphor, that's your problem. If you don't like Brussels sprouts, they're still vegetables and they're still good for you. That's not the Brussels sprouts problem. The metaphor is perfectly fine. I can't do anything for you. I suggest you learn to like it because it's nice to like things, right? You'll be happier. There's nothing wrong with a metaphor. So we owe God love and gratitude and obedience. That's the condition. That's the only appropriate response to our having been given existence. The gift of life is an outpouring of God's love. And the only response that is appropriate that brings about our union with God and our perfection as human beings is we owe God back what he has given us. We must return love for love. Well, we know the tragedy. We know that we didn't pay this debt. And the failure to love God is the definition of sin. That's what sin is. Sin is the failure uh, to love God. By the way, I might add that we were fully equipped in our creation to pay this debt of gratitude, thanksgiving, love, and obedience. We could have paid it. God created us good. <laughs> he created us. He threw us into being with momentum to make our journey back to him. We had plenty of momentum provided by God. Plenty of momentum to love and obey him and to return love for love. But we did not. We failed to pay the debt, and that's called sin. And that reversed our trajectory away from God and downward. Our image was marred, and we became enslaved and trapped in sin and death. And then we incurred our, I don't know if we incurred a, a new debt, or if our debt itself was sort of marred, was transformed. The debt we owe God now that we're entrapped in sin, this new kind of debt, we cannot pay. We are incapable of paying this debt. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot redeem ourselves. We cannot restore the image that has been marred and disfigured. That would have to be done by the image maker himself. This is what the parable is about. The servant has a debt he cannot pay to the king. It is the king who supplies the forgiveness that wipes out the debt. So this is where some confusion comes in, in all of this. Does God need the debt to be paid in order to forgive us? That's the question. Does God need the debt to be paid in order to forgive us? Now, caution. Don't make up your mind yet. Just wait and hear. Those who say, no, God does not need the debt in order to, be, to forgive us, they're very confident because of what we've already said, that God's nature is to forgive and have mercy. He doesn't need anything in order to forgive. He does not need to receive payment to have mercy. But this answer is actually a gross misunderstanding of the metaphor. This metaphor, which is both scriptural and patristic. And the metaphor is important. It is important, and it's important that we get it right for reasons that I hope will be clear in a moment. The metaphor of paying a debt is not about some economic transaction in which God gains something which enables him to forgive. Okay, that's not what the metaphor is trying to express. That's where the misunderstanding 
comes in. It is a metaphor, though, which demonstrates a distinction between God's attitude of forgiveness and mercy, which that's who God is, right? So we can speak in general of what God is like. He's a forgiving, merciful God. That's a general attitude of God. But there's a distinction between what God is like, that he desires us to be saved on the one hand, and the actual concrete metaphysical reality of our actual redemption and sanctification on the other. These are two different things. Just because God is merciful and wants to forgive you does not mean you are going to be redeemed. I.e. the parable this morning. It's very important, very important, that we do not divorce or think of God's forgiveness apart from Christ's passion and death. The Lamb was slain from the foundation of the world. The only God we know is the God we know through the Son who hangs on the tree for the forgiveness of sins. That is the only God you know. You don't know some other abstract God. You know the God through Jesus Christ. And through his blood, that's the God we know. His blood, which cleanses us from sins and is our redemption. His death on the cross, it is a sacrifice and it is offered to God. And God finds it acceptable. There is a transaction and there is no forgiveness outside of this transaction. The scriptures are absolutely clear about this. His death is a sacrifice offered to God and God finds it acceptable. God is offered something. He is offered the love of man. God doesn't need this in order to love, which is obvious because he's the one who came. <laughs> okay, it's not that complicated. God's not the one who needed. He's the one who came and became man. But it was man who needed to offer it. Man in Jesus Christ, the God-man, pays the debt which is necessary for communion with God. And we must not, dare not, ever divorce the idea of forgiveness in God from the redemption and the cross of Christ. St. Paul says repeatedly, in him we have redemption through his blood, i.e. the forgiveness of sins. Our redemption is the forgiveness of sins. It is actual and real. It is not just an idea. It is not just an attitude in God toward us. Again, St. Paul, and you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you your trespasses. The forgiveness of God is not just an attitude. It's very real. And it is, in fact, our very actual redemption. We can say in a qualified way that God forgives all, or he has an attitude of forgiveness, yet not all are saved. I think it is more accurate to say, and more scriptural and safer to say, that God has an attitude of mercy and forgiveness towards all, but not all are actually forgiven 
and redeemed because the scriptures equate redemption with forgiveness. And as often as the Bible speaks of God's forgiveness, it speaks just as often of him withholding forgiveness. As in our parable this morning. And our parable helps us to understand why not all are forgiven their debt. So we come back to our parable. And I think many people read this parable. I know I've read the parable for many years. And there's something in it so obvious, sometimes has to be missed. You know how we do that? We miss the obvious, the forest for the trees. We think of the parable as about the indiscriminate, categorical, universal, absolute forgiveness of God poured out on all mankind. And yet we miss the entire point. The whole point of the parable was the servant was not forgiven. That's the point of the parable. And Jesus drives the point home with his little caveat at the end, making sure nobody misses the point. The point of the parable was that the servant wasn't forgiven. And so why? That's the punchline. That his whole debt, the servant's debt, was, you know, he re-incurred his debt and was thrown into prison. And his master was angry and delivered him to the tortures until he should pay the last that was due to him. And Jesus sticks the point saying, so my heavenly father will also do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. There are many passages in the New Testament that express this idea. Many. Uh, Just to mention one or two. The Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And then Jesus makes a little commentary when he gets done teaching the most important prayer we have in our lives, the Lord's Prayer. What's the clause that he decides he wants to emphasize and make some commentary on? That clause. So as soon as he teaches in the prayer, he then says, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. That's the clause he chooses to emphasize. And there are many passages about why forgiveness might be withheld or not obtained. And if we do not experience the forgiveness of sins, we are not redeemed. These are the same thing, two sides of the same coin. There's not God's attitude of forgiveness and then redemption. To be redeemed is to be forgiven. It is to be cleansed. It is to be healed. It is to be made a new creature in Christ. It is an actual real thing. The servant in the parable was not forgiven. Why? Simple. He was not changed by the king's mercy. He did not become like the king toward his brother. He failed to love and to have mercy. And that is the point of the parable. The point of the parable is to say, do not presume upon, you know, God's Love and mercy and attitude towards you, as much as that is all true, you have a part to play. You must receive the forgiveness and be changed and altered by the forgiveness in order to truly be redeemed. That's the entire point. His failure to be changed was his sin. Think about it in this way. His failure, you know, his sin against his brethren to hold them accountable for their debt. That was a sin, right? That he committed a sin. Well, his whole debt was sin. The king forgave his whole debt. 
he forgave all his sin, <laughs> but not that one. He, he forgave his entire debt. Well, that should have been part of his debt, right? That other sin that he committed, that one wasn't forgiven. Because it wasn't just a sin, and that's the point of the parable. It wasn't just a sin he committed. He failed to be born again of the Spirit. He failed to be redeemed by the blood of Christ. He failed to be changed, to really return love for love. And this makes a caricature out of God's forgiveness. God's forgiveness is not some abstraction. His forgiveness is Jesus Christ upon the cross. Jesus perfectly expresses his love and mercy. He's the one paying the debt. Jesus, the man, the God-man, is paying the debt. It's a metaphor. The debt, it's a metaphor. God is not in need of something, but he is receiving something. He's receiving something from man. He's receiving love, a sacrifice, something that we needed to give in order to be changed by his forgiveness. And the transaction between God and man and the sacrifice of Christ must take place for the debt to be paid off and forgiveness to mean anything. If the debt's not paid, forgiveness is meaningless. Just meaningless. It's a farce. It's a caricature. And that's what happens when we divorce forgiveness from the cross. It becomes senseless. Oh great, God forgives us, but we are still damned. We're still left in our sins. There is no change. A debt had to be paid and Christ paid it. God himself paid it. What it means is he did what had to be done in order to free us from death and restore the image of God and man. To unite us to himself. This is our redemption through the blood of Christ. It is the forgiveness of sins. And if we're not changed by this forgiveness, if we're not made like the king and return love for love, then in reality we've not been forgiven. And we've not been redeemed. Christ indeed made satisfaction. He made satisfaction, which simply means he fulfilled the reality of our redemption by doing what had to be done as it was required by internal necessity. That is, by truth itself, the reality of who God is and what it means to be united with him. He satisfied all that. He paid the price. He did what had to be done. So this understanding of forgiveness can be a little tricky. It is God's property. To have mercy and forgive, that's who he is. That is his justice. But we must never think of this forgiveness in abstraction apart from Christ's actual death on the cross. We must understand that we are only really truly forgiven and redeemed when the reality of Christ's death is effectual in our lives and changes us and makes us like the king. Then we are truly forgiven and redeemed. And that's the warning of the parable that Jesus makes explicitly clear. Not to presume on the mercy of God, while he desires nothing but our salvation, our debt cannot be wiped out if we sin against the Holy Spirit. The unforgivable sin. If we sin against the Holy Spirit, that simply means we are not allowing the mercy of God to actually change us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
You have been listening to Father Patrick Cardine, pastor of St. Patrick's Orthodox Church in Bealton, Virginia. This has been a production of the Orthodox West.